Welcome to the Fearless Health Podcast with host Dr. Anne-Marie Barter. Dr. Barter is on a mission to help people achieve their health and wellness goals and help men and women live their best lives fearlessly. Dr. Barter is the founder of Alternative Family Medicine and Chiropractic in Denver and Longmont, Colorado. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you so much for being here, Michelle. Oh my gosh, it's my pleasure. I'm, I'm really thankful that you has, uh, asked me to come on. Awesome. So I think your story is so important and so critical. So I'd like to start with that and figure out how you got into health coaching and your story and your journey. Absolutely. How far back do you want me to start? <laughs> I think your, your struggles after being a gymnast are really, really mm. critical because I think everybody can relate to that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I was a gymnast growing up and um, that gave me a lot of really great experiences and learned a lot of really valuable life lessons for sure in it. And I enjoyed my experience as a gymnast. But um, one of the things that it did kind of lead me to was a um, pretty unhealthy relationship with food. Um, as you can imagine, you know, a gymnast needs a certain kind of body to throw a to throw herself all over in the air and not hurt herself. And so um, there was some restriction going on. There was a lot of mi mixed messages just in general. Eat, you should be eating. Why are you eating? Are you supposed to be eating that? You need to lose two pounds by tomorrow. You know, just the kind of things that a growing girl is going through anyway, but doesn't really lend itself to being a good gymnast. And so... Um, when I decided to end my gymnastics career, I started out by hitting up every Dairy Queen in town. <laughs> yes. And uh, yeah, it was sort of, you know, kind of my, my way of deciding I was free, I could do whatever I wanted. Uh, there was nobody going to tell me to be on a scale or have any risk of injuring myself anymore. So um, it was very liberating. And um, I, I continued to pretty much eat whatever I wanted for the next few years. And um, as you can imagine, that added uh, a little bit of weight to my frame. I, I also grew four inches after I quit gymnastics, but um, gaining four inches and, and probably over 50 pounds uh, kind of morphed me into a very different person. And whew, at some point was like, oh, oh God. <laughs> what do I do? Like, all on, you know, it was like, oh, this is great. I can do whatever I want. I'm free. And yet inside, I was like, what am I doing? This isn't going to end well. But kind of being in that place where I didn't really know how to dig myself out of it. So the self-sabotage ensues and you're going to go on a diet and lose all this weight. And I'm going to do really, really good and try really, really hard. And I did that for a few days. And then, of course, that would end. And uh, definitely went through many years of that kind of diet culture, diet mentality struggle that I know still to this day many people are going through. Um, I think also along the way was a whole bunch of really inaccurate information about nutrition that I was learning that most of us learned back then in the 80s and 90s. Um, that would, for those who, who don't know, that's like the fat-free craze, right? Fat's going to kill you. You're all going to die and get fat if you eat fat. So I 
ate snack wells. And I was like, yay, these don't have fat. This is wonderful. Um, all the fat-free foods you could think of, like cereal bars and cereal, <laughs> pasta, right? All this stuff that's fat-free, it must be good for me. Well, um, turns out not so much. Um, obviously, all those things are just different versions of sugar. So even though I maybe intended on making good choices, because of what I was eating that I thought were good choices, I literally was just setting myself up to need sugar. And when you already love sugar, it's really hard to not eat it when you physiologically need it and you love it. <laughs> so then I would go to eat some version of sugar. Mine was usually cookies, ice cream, you know, those were my go-tos. And then again, the negative beating myself up would ensue. Like, oh, you're such a loser. You're such a failure. You, why can't you just say no? Why don't you have any willpower? Um, so it was definitely a, a, a huge struggle because I thought I was making good choices. And then I didn't understand why I just didn't have any willpower to say no to these things when other people around me had no problem saying no to cookies or having one cookie and being satisfied. Um, so you know, definitely learned a lot, re-educated myself and, and came up with my own tools to help me not only re-educate myself on uh, the physiological aspects of what food does to you, but also digging into my psychological aspects of why I turned to food in the first place. That's a really powerful story because I think a lot of people can relate to that because they don't know what to eat and especially talking about the low fat time. I mean, and people are still now today still afraid of fat. And we're, we're still running into that concern. Like, can I eat that? Am I going to get heart disease? It has fat in it. Like that is still very pervasive in our culture today, even though we need fat. So let me ask you this. Um, after going through all of that and having a bad relationship with food for some time, you know, um, what do you think of diets? I think they're horrible. <laughs> In fact, um, whenever I teach or I'm coaching something, I, I literally make them pinky swear to me that they will never, ever, ever go on a diet again. Because if you're going to go on a diet, you're going to go off of it. And yes, you will probably see some results that you are enjoying while you're on it, but they're all going to go away once you go off it. And that was a huge mindset shift for me. I had to just decide that I needed to change my lifestyle habits. This was not um, a finite period of time that I was going to eat a certain way to achieve a certain outcome. But rather, I had to figure out how to gradually adopt new habits so that eventually the long-term outcome was there and it was not ever going to go back the other way. Um, you know, I think certain lifestyle patterns of eating are very healthy. And if you never go off the diet, then I don't call it a diet. That's your lifestyle pattern of eating. That's how I um, kind of differentiate between the two. So whenever somebody comes to me, you know, and they ask me, well, I'm doing this diet, right? Right now it's I'm doing keto. <laughs> I love that phrase. <laughs> um, my number one question is always, well, why are you doing it? Like, what are you trying to achieve by that? What do you think you're going to experience by this? And then what's going to happen when you stop doing keto? Like, what do you, are you prepared for what that might look like? 
I, I love that you try to get the why out of them. The why that's so important. Why are you doing this? I mean, to look good in a swimsuit. Well, at 11 p.m. at night when you're sad and you feel bad about yourself, like you don't care what you look like in that swimsuit. You just want, you know, a cookie cake and a candy and to wash it down with, I don't know, a Diet Coke, whatever it is. And, you know, there has to be a bigger why. You have to be doing this for something beyond vanity reasons. Like an example you gave in your book uh, was that they a woman wanted to – be on the ride with her, with her family. And that is a powerful reason to continue to do that because it's bigger than yourself, you know, to look at that. So I think that that is very powerful. So I feel like everybody's gauge and how they measure success of their eating habits or their diet or their workout program or anything is reflected on the scale. And it's reflected daily or even hourly on the scale. And I know that you can relate to that. And and to me, you know, if somebody says, you know, they come in, they're like, oh my goodness, my weight is up a pound. Well, yeah. Okay, sure. That's going to happen. Like that's life. You know, what are your inches? Well, I don't know. I didn't measure that. But why are you measuring every day? And so can you speak on, you know, what you think of the scale a little bit and how that's maybe maybe not the best measure of success. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I mean, I was, I was in that camp. I was a slave to the scale. Weigh myself the minute I get up. Weigh myself after I go to the bathroom. Weigh myself after a meal. Weigh myself before I go to bed. And to let the number on the scale dictate your mood and your next step, it's almost never going to work out in your favor, <laughs> right? Because right. if, it, if it's a good number, then we're like, yay, look at me, I'm so good. And then perhaps I'll be like, oh, I can have that cookie or six and it won't matter. And if it's not a good <laughs> number, six. then it's like, oh my gosh, I'm such a loser. Why bother anyway? I might as well go eat six cookies. So either way, I found for me, it was not it was not helpful. I know some people find it very helpful to allow them to stay on track. So I guess my general answer is I feel like everybody needs to do what they find to be helpful. I discovered it was not helpful to weigh myself every day for sure. I can honestly tell you I don't ever weigh myself anymore unless I have to go to the doctor and they require that. Um, I also think, especially because I'm passionate about fitness and passionate about women doing strength training and building their muscles, um, the scale is a horrible indicator of health, absolutely horrible. And so if we are going to base our self-worth on a particular number, um, unfortunately for many women, but men too, um, it, it's probably going to leave us feeling like we are less than. So I would say, let's ditch the scale and find different ways to measure whatever you define as success. And another, you know, facet of that is BMI or body mass index. And I mean, for years, I mean, I, I may be obese on that. I, I don't know at this point. I haven't looked for a while. I know and, I am. And, yes. I, and I'm certainly not an <laughs> obese person, but it's ridiculous because I'm highly muscular. And so, you know, I've always just like, that isn't, doesn't even come into my 
working into my practice at all. I just don't even, they're like, this might be a mile. I'm like, whatever, <laughs> move on. So what's your opinion on the BNI or BMI? I keep going back to a networking group apparently. Yes. <laughs> um, well, I share your sentiment. I think it's, I hate it. Absolutely. Hate, I hate it. And I, with as much as we know about muscle and body structure, I, I do not understand why the medical community is still encouraging that number to be something that matters. Um, I actually, uh, same thing. I, I, I mean, I'm not, I probably am in the obese category, quite honestly, but if you would look at me, you probably wouldn't think that. No, um, you're very small. <laughs> because I, I do have a significant amount of muscle. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I believe we can all look in the mirror and know if we have some body fat to lose or not. Uh, but to put us in certain categories, normal is a category. <laughs> what does that even mean? Right? <laughs> Um, it's so true. (laughs) Extra overweight, doubly overweight. Like why? Right. Um, so I think things like maybe body fat percent, maybe, um, waist to hip ratio, waist circumference, you know, are important indicators because clearly we know that carrying around excess body fat specifically around your belly is a risk for increase of all diseases. So it's not to say that, um, perhaps we shouldn't try to lose body fat if that is necessary to improve our overall health or how we feel about ourselves. Um, I just don't think BMI is a very good measure of anything. Yeah. And I think so many people, I've heard so many folks come in and they say, I, there's so much differing information out there, low fat, high carb, paleo, keto, whatever it is, you know, and all these conflicting diets, and people say, I don't know what to eat, I don't know when to eat, I don't know if I'm eating too much, am I eating too little, should I count calories? I think there are so much misinformation out there. And so what do you think is a good recommendation for what to eat? So I'm always going to recommend to eat real food. That would, that, I like to try to keep things very, very simple. So I define real food as something you can go outside and dig out of the ground or pick off a tree. Um, it's roaming in the pasture. It's swimming in the water. Or it comes from an animal, animal that does one of those things. Now, obviously, there might be some real foods that are not good for some people. So that's where we need to get some specifics based on particular health issues or body chemistry. Um, or philosophies of, you know, foods that they do or don't want to eat. But real food is at least going to provide your body the nutrients necessary. I think very often we simply think about food in terms of the calories that it gives us without really appreciating that it's about the nutrients, the vitamins, the minerals, the antioxidants, the fatty acids, the amino acids, um, all the different types of fiber. And if you're getting a wide variety of real food, at least your body has resources to be able to function correctly. And then with, you know, how much to eat, um, I, don't, I don't want people to become obsessed with numbers, but I do think gaining at least an underlying understanding of what your needs are does require a little bit of math. <laughs> um, so there are plenty of online tools, calculator.net, Um, and health-calc.com are two of the online uh, resources that I like um, to help you really identify 
what does your body need in terms of energy just to exist? So one thing that I definitely find, and this is very much born out of diet culture, is when we're being quote unquote good, we're not eating enough. And when we're not being good, we're eating way too much. So we literally have put our bodies in a famine and feast mode, which just throws everything out of whack from cortisol levels to insulin and glucagon to your hunger hormones. And it literally is just going to set you up for failure because your metabolism is going to slow down. So now the calories that I'm eating and I should be losing weight because I'm eating what Fitbit tells me to eat. Well, except that you've crashed your metabolism through years and years of this yo-yo diet plan or the being really good during the week and then cheating on the weekend plan, uh, that the calories in, calories out method is a little more complicated than it seems like it should be. So I think using some kind of app to get a good idea of resting metabolic rate, which is just the number of calories your body needs to simply exist, never going below that number ever, because if you do, that A, means you're probably on a diet, and B, you're teaching your body that there is no food to eat. That's back in the day, the only reason you didn't eat. And then how much more than that you need really just depends on your activity level, um, how much you're doing, what kind you're doing, what your daily routine looks like as far as just movement in a sedentary job or an active job. And then what are your needs and your goals? Are you trying to lose weight, gain weight, maintain weight? All of those things really do play a factor. And so, you know, while everybody kind of wants like this neat little simple answer, it sometimes isn't that simple. You have to go down a few layers to get the foundation, but then it'll make everything else a lot easier going forward. Right. And what, I mean, so when somebody, a lot of people are yo-yoing, right? So they will intermittent fast and they will have coffee and then maybe coffee for breakfast, coffee for lunch. And then, you know, by 3 p.m., somebody's starving, they're crashed, they're exhausted, they're fatigued. Maybe they slap on another coffee and then, you know, for dinner, you know, slam the fettuccine Alfredo and ice cream because they're starving. So in that particular situation, um, you're looking at that and thinking, you know, this person needs to eat more earlier in the day in order to stabilize these blood sugar levels or, or what's your thought on that? Yeah, I'm a big believer that you have to fuel your body when you are up and functioning and need your fuel, and you don't need a whole bunch to lay down and go to bed. So that means get up and, you know, whether you're working out first on an empty stomach, for some people that's fine, for some it's not, so everybody has to kind of figure out if that's appropriate for them or not. But then eating, you know, I would say no more than three hours after being up, because you're up and functioning, and if you don't put any fuel in your body, you again, there must be no food to eat. So we're going to start to conserve energy to, so that we can survive this famine, right? Um, we'll kick out some cortisol because we're going to be in a famine. We're going to die of starvation. Our organs will be in danger, losing all this weight um, specifically around our belly. So cortisol will instruct your body to store fat around your belly so that they're nice and safe. Hopefully we're back in feasting mode before anything's, uh, anything is an issue. And then you go home and literally your body's like, yay, we, sur we survived the famine. This is, this is fantastic. We're in feasting mode. Um, but because we've taught it 
that it probably knows the famine is coming back tomorrow. So now it's really going to hang on to everything you just put in your body. Not to mention it's a complete disruption of how our blood sugar regulating hormones, insulin and glucagon are supposed to be working. So um, steady blood sugar, I think, truly is the key to just about everything in life, <laughs> um, right? So putting, uh, I have a little mantra, PFF is your BFF, um, putting protein, fat, and fiber in your body every two to four hours, most of those calories early and often throughout your day, and fewer calories as you get closer to bedtime. And that in itself is a huge lifestyle shift for a lot of people. I know it was a big shift for me because... Um, I was afraid to eat during the day, right? I'm going to save my calories for later, save my calories for the party I'm going to or the dinner that I'm going to go out to with friends. And yet all day while you're saving those calories, you're literally just plummeting metabolism, getting your system totally out of whack, um, not serving you in any way. And I think you know, this again kind of goes to when we look at weight loss and it seems like it's calories in, calories out, what I think a lot of people don't fully understand is when the calories go in, the way they go in, the type that go in, as well as the amount that go in affect how your body burns them, right? And so fueling your body, keeping blood sugar steady, um, eating high quality nutrient dense foods, regularly throughout your day. Um, it is the key to so many things, in especially to preventing making maybe some of those unhealthy choices later on in the day. I think you're so right. I think that was so well said. It's really interesting when people come, come in and they'll be overweight, a lot of times just the amount that they're eating is so, so small. And they're also not doing the right food combinations when you really see that. And they're just not slowing that glycemic spike. You know, they'll say, oh, I eat, you know, I just sat down and had a plate of, um, you know, uh, I don't know, a baked potato or something like that. Just, I'm like, by itself? And yeah, well, butter's bad. And I'm like, you didn't have any protein with that? Well, I mean, you think about a potato has the same glycemic index as a Coke. You have to really slow that glycemic spike down. So I just think that what you've said is so critical for overall diet um, choices and diet health. So, Yeah, well, and one other point, I mean, there's a lot of reasons that PFF is your BFF, but also because of the fat-soluble vitamins, right? That if we're eating foods that have uh, vitamins A, D, E, and K, and you're not eating any fat with those foods, you're not going to absorb those nutrients. So I find a lot of times people will tell me, oh, I eat really healthy. And they go ahead and list all the healthy foods that they're eating. And it's true. They're eating whole, real foods, but it's a lot of carbs. And it's a lot of carbs all by itself. Like I'll have a piece of fruit as a snack. Okay. Fruit is wonderful. Gives us tremendous nutrition, but it's sugar. And if you're eating that piece of fruit by itself, it's going to spike your blood sugar and make it crash. And then you might go eat cookies. <laughs> um, right. Right. So PFF all the time. And this is, this is a big, um, you know, it's one of those little details for a lot of people that it, it doesn't, they don't understand until they experience it that, yeah, I, I eat a bowl of oatmeal for breakfast. Okay. That's wonderful. But it's all carbohydrate by itself. Right. So I really help people figure out, you have to identify where's my protein, where's my fat, where's my fiber. 
every single time you put something in your mouth, unless you're about to engage in, in some type of endurance activity or an endurance sport. That is when you need the straight up quick energy, which is a quick, you know, easily broken down carbohydrate. Mm-hmm. And that's so true. I, you know, I think, you know, I do that. And so all I do is when I'm going up that mountain, I'm pretty much eating like carbohydrates and bacon. It's disgusting. It's super disgusting. But when you're Sounds out, kind of delicious, actually. Yeah, I know. But when you're out ski mountaineering for hours, that's kind of what you have to do to survive, right? You get cold or whatnot. But yeah, you're exactly right on that. So um, you brought up a really great point, and this is something that I see all the time, is blood sugar is so critical, I think, for most people. And I would go out on a limb and say probably – 90 to 95% of my patients that come in have blood sugar dysregulation, Um, whether that is diabetes or hypoglycemia, which is much more common, or a mix between the two of them. Um, And most people believe that they don't have blood sugar issues if they don't have diabetes. Mm. There's this correlation between, well, I don't have a problem. Well, yeah, I have mood swings, and yeah, I get hangry, and yeah, I want caffeine at 3 p.m., but I don't have blood sugar issues. Those are definitely all blood sugar dysregulation Mm. issues. So um, what's your comment on really keeping the blood sugar stable? I mean, it definitely, it's, it's fuel is critical. So packing enough food to get you throughout your day, you know, we, we're in this place in society where we go, go, go all day long, don't have time to eat <laughs> or again, kind of going back to diet mentality. And I still, I still hear this all the time. Um, well, I do really good all day long and then I go home and I have no willpower and in their mind, really good means I've hardly eaten anything. And so we, 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 you, we just have to break out of that. There is nothing good about not eating. And of course, you're going to go home and eat. It's not about willpower. Your body needs food, right? So I'm always going to work really hard on PFF every two, two to four hours. I mean, exercise, right? We have to use our fuel as well so that we don't increase our risk for diabetes and um, heart disease and all of that. I think stress and sleep deprivation also um, lend to blood sugar issues for sure, because um, chronic sleep deprivation or even just one night where you haven't slept well throws everything out of balance. Back in the day, the only reason you didn't sleep in the darkness was because you were fighting or fleeing danger. Or because you were the night watch and it was your job to stay up to tell everybody else that there was danger. And so if you're going to fight or flee danger or you have to stay alert in the darkness, your body is going to help you, which means it's going to tell you to eat sugar, right? Because your brain needs some fuel to stay alert. And so things can get very off balance because most likely you're not fighting or fleeing danger. You're just not sleeping, right? Um, So it sends everything out of balance. And and same thing with the stress response, right? If uh, the body kicks into fight or flight and cortisol is released, one of the functions of cortisol is to release um, some glucose into your bloodstream so that you have fuel to fight or flee. So if you don't have any protein or fat in the bloodstream at the time of that release, now you have glucose in your bloodstream as if you've eaten a donut, except you didn't eat a donut. You just let fight or flight kick in. And then that glucose is going to crash, and then you're going to want to eat sugar or 
get another stimulant that's going to get the spike going like caffeine, um, that, that will have pretty much the same effect. So it, it's everything. It's, it's, there's usually more than one area to address. Um, since we can't do it all at once, I'll sort of weed through with clients and get a, a, just a health habit assessment. What does your daily routine look like? And then let's just pick one thing that we're going to start to work on and build on that. Yeah, and I think the stress response is critical. I think most people are saying these days, well, I don't have time for that. My job's too busy. I can't make time to prep that food. Oh, wow, I didn't have time to do this during the day. I'm just so stressed out. I have this, I have that. And I feel like we are more concerned with looking busy or being busy than we are with taking care of our bodies. And it, it just seems so simple, but it, for whatever reason, people are not interested in, in making the small changes, it appears, to be able to do this, which is going to make it a giant impact on their overall health, right? Yeah, I mean, I think it really is about getting to that point in life where you embrace the idea that this machine right here needs to be maintained in a certain way if you want it to serve you well. And, a, you know, we didn't used to have to really make an effort to live a healthy lifestyle because it was naturally built in. All we had was real food. We didn't have an option to pull up to a window and have a bag of food fall in my lap. If I wanted to eat, I had to go find it, right? <laughs> so nowadays, why would I bother to hunt and gather at the grocery store when I could just push a button on my phone and food will show up at my door, right? So we've definitely traded um, quality for convenience and time, but at some point, it's probably going to catch up. So I'm a big believer that if you spend some time and energy on the front end, you will save time, energy, stress, poor choices on the back end. But everybody has to kind of come to that on their own. And I think, you know, we live in this, this age where we expect an instant result with little to no effort. Well, I tried this and it didn't work. Well, you can't try it. You have to do it <laughs> and you have to keep doing it. And maybe what you were doing isn't quite right. So perhaps it needs a little bit of tweaking. But certainly um, reverting back to unhealthy habits isn't probably going to get you where you want to go. So I, one of my, my mantras recently is hard now or harder later. Um, when people tell me, oh, it's too hard to eat healthy or it's too hard to exercise, I mean, the tough love in me comes out and says, well, call me in 10 years and tell me how easy your, your rehab is from your heart attack or <laughs> how said. dealing with your dialysis is or, or like my client, how, how easy it is to miss out on activities with your family because you don't fit in the roller coaster ride. I mean, that's hard, right? So I say pick your hard, pick hard now, you will enjoy the benefits eventually, but also you're going to feel better, have more energy, and definitely be serving your body well along the way. Yeah, how much do you think stress is the cause or the underlying issue in a lot of what folks are struggling with? Um, I think it's either the component or it's a huge component for most people. Um, you know, this we are in that age of go, 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 nonstop, 
more expectations, more demands, you know, can't say no, fear of missing out. I mean, we have all these things going on. And at some point, we each have to realize that the stress response is great. If there's a child that is drowning in the lake, I want fight or flight to kick in, so I go and save that child. Um, you know, if somebody's chasing me down a dark alley, I hope fight or flight kicks in so I can run away and be safe. Most of us, our triggers, the thing that stresses us out, they're not actual threats to our life. And that's really the only time fight or flight is supposed to kick in is to help you survive a threat to your life. So we just need to recognize that it's just not necessary for it to kick in, which means we have to do a lot of hard work to retrain our brain uh, to override that natural built-in survival mechanism that has literally been ingrained in us since the beginning of our existence. It just isn't useful most of the time. Uh, and it's, it ends up being quite harmful because if you let every trigger get you going, you are in a constant state of chemical chaos. Um, your, your body is, is literally never balanced and how that's going to show up, it'll be different in, every, in everybody, right? Stress, uh, the stress symptoms manifest differently in everybody. So that's also part of, I think, our responsibility is to be in tune with our bodies and listen and pay attention when it's telling you something. But we live in an age where I can just take a pill for that. So I don't need to worry about my high blood pressure. I just have a pill for that. I don't need to really worry about why I'm not sleeping. I'll just take some Ambien or I'll have a couple glasses of wine to wind down and help me sleep, right? We turn to all of these other things instead of addressing the underlying cause. I mean, it's like putting a Band-Aid on something and never figuring out why do I keep cutting myself there in the first place? Like maybe I need to stop using the knife that way, right? Um, so doing the hard work. And I think, you know, and believe me, I put myself in this camp on a lot of things as well Is we don't want to do the hard work. It's, it's, it's hard work. But then we complain about the outcome. So if you are not willing to do the hard work, then just accept what your outcome is. If you're not willing to accept your outcome, then you have to have that really difficult conversation with yourself and and recognize that there might be some hard work I have to do, and I'm going to have to have patience. I'm going to have to have dedication. I'm going to have to work hard on my mindset and my attitude about it, because unless I make changes, the outcome is not going to change. Well said. Very well said. Um, do you feel like there are ways that people can reduce stress? Do you have any tips and tricks to reduce stress? Yeah, I mean, I think number one is breathe. And I know it sounds very simple and very cliche, and yet we're not good at it. <laughs> um, you know, again, if you just kind of let nature kick in, your, your natural stress response probably at least to some degree involves holding your breath. Back in the day, if a big beast was going to eat me, I probably went... <gasps> And then I ran as fast as I could and I hope for the best, right? And that was really beneficial because when you hold your breath, it shuts down the thought process part of your brain so you don't think because if I stood around to think about that, I would have been eaten. Sure. So in that case, it's protection. But now if I react that way and then I respond to something or I have my natural reaction, it's usually going to be negative, anger, fear. It's something that's related to fight or flight. 
And usually that just leads to more situation, more unhealthy situation, more anger, anxiety, fear, whatever it is. So in the face of any trigger, I would say just let's first breathe. That's just number one. Just remind yourself to breathe. Um, and then, you know, there are some, some activities that you can really do to sort out. Um, in, my, in my book, I have the satisfaction survey. And it's just a way to kind of help you really become clear on what you say your goals, values, and priorities are. And identify if you are spending your time, money, and energy in ways that align with that. And often we're spending time, money, and energy in ways that don't align with what we say is important. So a little bit of um, awareness of that I think is helpful. Again, I always like to let's just see where we are so we can figure out what to change. And that is usually a big eye-opener for a lot of people. I teach a lot of this kind of class, and I'll always ask, how many of you would say your health is a priority? And most, most people raise their hands. And then I ask, okay, are you exercising regularly? Are you eating healthy food more often than not? Are you getting your sleep? And a lot of times, they're not. So there's a huge misalignment with what you say is important to you and with how your actions are reflecting that. And then that's where we want to start to adjust to hopefully realign um, so that we can spend our time, money, and energy because those are finite resources. Once you use them, you don't get them back um, in ways that are helpful and ways that are going to lead you to a healthy, happy, fulfilled, satisfied life. Right. That's good. And how do you feel like our thoughts affect this process? Mm like tremendously. <laughs> um, I think it all starts with our thoughts. We, we don't control the thoughts that come in, but we do get to decide what to do with them. And again, the easy natural thing is to let negativity take hold. It's pretty normal to have negative thoughts. Um, it again goes back to helping to protect us. Right? If I didn't have the ability to detect danger, I would have been eaten. So I have to be on high alert to be able to know if there's a threat. We just, for the most part, don't need to be on high alert like that anymore. And yet the inner critic, the negativity, all of that still comes in because that's just the way the brain works. There's nothing wrong with negative thoughts. Where it tends to lead to problems is if we start to believe the negative thought and we act out the negative thought and that thought generates a kind of energy in us that's then going to lead to an action that is maybe not helpful and not helping you get to where you say you want to go. So then the hard work comes in to acknowledge the thought and then you decide what you're going to do with it. You can just do the easy thing and let it take you on its ride or you can do the hard work of redirecting the thought, rewriting the thought, you know, having a rebuttal to the thought. There's all kinds of things. It really depends on what the particular situation is. Um, but that's a lot of hard work constantly. And it was certainly a big piece of my journey. Absolutely. And it's still, I mean, still that inner critic is always going to be there. It's how long are you going to allow it to take center stage before you decide to step in and take over the microphone and have a different thing to say. Great. Anything, um, any tips you want to leave any of the listeners with that we didn't hit on? Um, you know, I would say wherever you are with your health and wellness, 
let's just let's just start there. Get out of woulda, coulda, shoulda mode, right? Oh, I wish I would have done this sooner, or I should have done this better, or I mean, I was in there for a long time. I beat myself up about choices that I made in my 20s and how much damage I did. And none of that is helpful. It doesn't matter. It's done. I can't change that. I can only do today and going forward. And then I would say, think about, you know, your own wellness journey as a project because it is, you know, you are the project manager of this project and that's going to require work and it's going to require consistency and it's going to require um, dedication to the project so just embrace it, right? Definitely change the mindset that there's going to be this amazing result with little to no effort. And if you don't see a result, then what's the point? I definitely know that every healthy choice is helping you in some way. You might not feel it or experience it for a while, but regardless of whether this journey takes you six months or six years or 16 years, I mean, ultimately, does it matter? As long as you are moving in the right direction, if, to, if today you're making better choices than you made yesterday or than you made a year ago, that is success. So I would say embrace your successes, celebrate your victories, don't diminish them because, well, everyone else does this anyway, so it's not a big deal that I'm finally doing it. Yeah, it is a big deal because it's a hurdle you've overcome. Right. So celebrate your victories and, and know that you know, the process is going to, it's going to, it's going to work. You just have to keep doing it. And eventually you're going to feel the benefit of that. So I say embrace the journey um, with an open heart, positive mind, a positive attitude, and just know that healthy choices are doing good things for you um, all along the way. Awesome. And where can people find you if they want to get in touch with you and where can they find your book? Yeah, so betterbeings.net is my website, and there's direct links to my book on there as well. It's on Amazon and Audible, so if you just type in my name, it comes right up. Um, also, Facebook and Instagram at betterbeingsus, and um, yeah, those three spots. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Anne. It was lovely. Awesome. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed learning with us today, please give us a five-star review comment, like, and share our podcast with your friends and family. As always, if you'd like to learn more information about today's guest, please head over to fearlesshealthpodcast.com for links to their site and other educational resources.